0: The Sonic Truth, brought to you by Advertising Week 360 and Veritonic, the audio intelligence platform. On this episode, we're meeting at the border of art and science in audio marketing. How does Google, one of the largest data and technology companies in the world, navigate the two? Where does data fit into the creative process of a leading sonic branding agency? Scott Simnelli tackles the often sensitive topic with Nelly Rajavi. Google's former music supervisor, and Jay Bonilla, founder of the creative agency, The Elements Music. Welcome again to The Sonic Truth. One disclaimer, while Nellie Rajabi was at Google when this podcast was recorded, she has since moved over to Apple. All
1: right, well, welcome to The Sonic Truth, Nellie and, and Jay. Uh, please introduce yourselves. And Nellie, tell us a little about yourself. Sure, I'm happy to.
2: So I'm a music supervisor at Google. I lead the sonic strategy and creative for Google's products and branded commercial content. Before this, I helped launch an ad and brand focused music venture between music management company called Milk and Honey and Silo Music, which is their stellar music house. that's had a lot of success in the custom space for trailers and promos. And prior to that, I was focused more on the TV and film side of production and music supervision as well. Ironically, Silicon Valley was probably one of the last productions I was on on the TV and film side before I came over to Google and entered into what felt like should have stayed in a script.
1: First of all, Silicon Valley is one of my favorite shows. I could take this entire podcast and go talk about that. So I have to take that offline. You know, obviously our audience is, is the marketing world uh, and some of our, our our listeners might not know what a music supervisor is just just what a music supervisor does and, and what that role entails
2: so music supervisor is essentially a creative director of sound it works differently depending on what form of media you're working on but within the context of marketing within the context of google the way that my Role works is I look after the sonic strategy. So, coming in at the early phases of things and understanding the marketing strategy as a whole, knowing how, when, and where to plug in music is a part of that, and what form of initiative we should take to do that to accomplish it. So, whether it's a traditional music sync that fits across our commercials in general, like the products that I mentioned, or the long form branding spots that typically don't have a product at the center of them, but more speak to the brand as a whole. So whether it's a creative sync on that and understanding whether or not you want a pre existing track on something, what that may look like, what that may sound like, or something custom, who you may want to work with, if it is custom working with the composer and giving them the right style of notes and helping them really understand and encompass the Emotional vision of the storyline.
1: There's a spectrum of kind of where people f- fall as far as you know how they they have an you know what they do from an audio strategy and sonic strategy standpoint, which we'll certainly get to later. And curious to hear your opinion on. So Jay, that's a that's a tough act to follow. It um, is. You want to introduce yourself? Yeah.
3: <laughs> so I'm co-founder and creative director of the Elements Music, and we primarily produce original music and sound for brands, and usually pretty big ones, brands like Nike, Uber, Mercedes, Amazon, and. We also do a lot of sonic branding and we also do music supervision. So, you know, we're essentially creating and or finding music for brands. It's kind of our day to day. And I started my career on the record production side. So I was lucky enough to, you know, be in some really cool rooms with some great recording artists and, and producers and engineers and you know, work with like Taylor Swift and Black Eyed Peas and Maroon 5 and Keith Urban and some really great folks. Um, and then kind of took a crazy turn into music for media uh, and mainly in advertising. Also we have done a lot of work in film and TV along the years, but over the past many, many years, we've, you know, created this music agency that I'm just super passionate about. And I love, we get to work on amazing projects of all kinds of stripes. Um, it's like really rewarding. We have teams and studios in London and LA. And so, you know, my day to day is kind of helping our teams, work with a big roster of artists and composers and singers and, and, and making music for brands, you know? So that's what I get to do.
1: Uh, this will be an interesting conversation, I think, hearing uh, you know, how all these pieces fit together. And so kind of moving into the, the kind of marketing side of it, both of you have now kind of been pulled into the marketing world uh, at some point in your career uh, in different ways. Yeah. Um, you know, starting with you, Nelly, I mean, you know, look, Google's a very sophisticated technology company. I think we all... You know kind of I think all of us Google knows more about us than I think uh, than I think we we all want to admit, but you know you know how do how does that filter into or kind of flow into the decisions you make as a music supervisor there, the creative decisions you make around audio does is Is there something specific about Google or different that you 've noticed about Google that that maybe is is uh an outlier or atypical
2: as far as what I think is an outlier for Google. It's 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 just that, what you pointed out, which is that they really revere data as a way of getting human truth embedded into their work. And it is a way of amplifying the work that they have. It's at the center of a lot of great ideas. Um, and stepping outside of Google, I would say the same thing about any other brand that, that treats research and data in the same way is that At the center of this amazing idea that they've struck up is an insight and the way that they've come to this insight is typically through research and if it's if it's um sophisticated enough like google has taken an approach to it's normally through data you're speaking in a way and in a tone that resonates and speaking in a way about a concept that matters and is worth people's eyes and ears And I think my favorite example from Google are the search focus stories that have come out, especially during the pandemic period. So we've seen spikes in what people are searching for on Google and there's really strong connective tissues between what I, as an individual with a semi-unique worldview am looking up versus another person in the middle of the country who I may not have what I think anything in common with is looking up. And in that way, it's a really beautiful way of bringing people together, of gathering insights as to what we're caring about collectively and then bringing them to light. So, um, yeah, I think the goal is to bring people together that way. So data, in my opinion, is a way of just tapping into these insights and culture.
1: We'll be right back.
0: How do marketers use insights like you're hearing on this program to run more effective campaigns on podcasts, radio, streaming services, and more? By informing every decision with data from the Baritonic Audio Intelligence Platform. Click the link in the episode description to get our infographic that demonstrates how data can work for you now, from leveraging the most effective voice for an ad to knowing how you stack up in the market and forge
1: deeper relationships with customers through sound. And there's that blend between, you know, art and science. I think, and this is, uh, you know, Jay, I turn to you for a second. You know, there's this, I I think I've just personally been on both sides, obviously a composer and working at Veritonic and founding Veritonic. So actually in some ways, two extremes. Um, But, you know, what is a creative agency's perspective on this, right? Because it's, you know, obviously there's, there's a point at which, uh, data can inform creativity and, and, and guide that process, but also can, can kind of, you know, close it down and, and, and kind of uh, confine it. So, you know, what, what is, what is your kind of philosophy on the, on that spectrum of art and science? Yeah. I
3: mean, it's interesting you saying yourself kind of, you know, on one end of the spectrum being a composer and then, you know, on the other end working, you know, creating Veritonic. I mean, that's an interesting way to, to sort of frame it up because, I think, you know, our entree, I spent a whole career, you know, sitting in rooms with people making music and just going on what felt like gut, you know, um, which I feel like is how certainly people of our generation, you know, that's how we grew up thinking about creative, any kind of creative. And I think our our first, my first entree into, you know, thinking about how data can play into that is with you guys and, 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 and being introduced to Veritonic several years ago. And... You know, starting to learn about how we can actually leverage data and audio analysis to give really a value add to our clients, ultimately. But the, cra- the funny thing about it is when we first kind of started learning about that stuff, I think the first thought for us is like, whoa, okay, this, is, this seems really cool. I don't, we don't know about it. Not sure how well it works, but it can make us look like the smartest folks in the room to our clients. So let's like get in here and start learning about it. You know what I mean? That was it wasn't like, oh, this is going to help us create cooler music or, you know, or or do stuff that's more effective or that reaches the audience in a better way. And I think over time, that's where it's gotten for us is the more we've learned about it, the more we've dived in and and kind of seen how it actually works. That's what we're excited about is how it can actually, you know, we can take these data sets alongside our creative and just, you know, let it inform what's working? There's some insecurity out there in the world amongst creatives about whether is this going to take away our gut? Is everything going to have to be analyzed and run through, you know, get a thumbs up from the robot, essentially, before it can be placed, you know, so I think that's maybe the other side of the coin. But I'm, I'm a little more optimistic about it at this point. That's kind of my perspective.
1: That's, that's great. And I think insecurity is the right word to describe that. I think when when yeah, you know, it's always when you first compose something, if it's, if it's kind of coming from the gut, it's very, it's very fragile. Like, you know, you just, you know that yeah. feeling of like, oh, my God, you know like this, this is showing a piece of me and it's going to get judged. That's a very difficult yeah. uh, place to be. I, I think it's in some ways, and this is a, a great question, you know, bouncing it back to you, Nellie, and don't feel like we need to be organized in who answers. So feel free to chime in with each other. But it's really, uh, you said something interesting, Nellie, around like, you know, having data about what people are searching for. And, and what that kind of dovetails into is knowing your audience. I feel like any and any form of expression or, or marketing or art or, or music, etc. If you if you know a lot about your audience, like that, that makes the conversation more rich. Um, are, are you actually taking like data? Do you have data about like who you're marketing to that maybe the average organization doesn't have? Uh, and do you know your audience better? Uh, and, And can you leverage that?
2: Obviously, in a way of not breaking privacy or, yeah, I think just that being being really careful about the user privacy, because it's also a really important thing. But at the center of any brand that's focused around marketing versus, let's say, a TV show, they have to do some research and get some data points around who they're speaking to, or you're stabbing into the dark. So yeah, I would say we have a very robust team that focuses on that. It's not necessarily around how we get the data and the understanding of who these people are, but just the fact that we are trying to, the fact that we understand who the different consumers are that we would target and wanting an Android phone versus an iOS. And the interesting thing about that now coming at it from a marketing perspective versus TV and film is when you're working on TV and film or you're working on a trailer, you typically already know who your audience is because it's been decided already. But working in marketing and working on the sound, which is one important element of it, and coming in at a strategy level, you're helping to inform how to talk to these people and sometimes deciding who the audience is by doing that. So working with the Consumer Insights team has been really key for me. And I think, I think for Google, an important piece of that has been helpfulness. And so the question has been, okay, we understand who these people are now. How can we help them? And how do we come in as a helpful brand and making sure that it's something that is worth their, again, ears and eyes and attention? It is interesting to me coming at it from marketing and how that's changed the approach for music supervision especially versus TV and film and trailers and promos where it was in the tail end once the strategy was already formed, once the research was already done, once we were going into post that those decisions were made, being made, where now we're doing it collectively and informing those things together
1: um, piece by piece. There's more to it than just the data, obviously. What what goes into that, you know, if you're, if you're talking to the elements?
3: Yeah, well, it's interesting how music has seemed to, you know, be set aside in terms of the the way that a lot of brands and ad agencies deal with data and and any sort of analysis around the content they're creating and the ads they're creating. Like, you know, there's there's so much that's gone into a lot of analysis around a lot of the other elements, just, you know, is the commercial working as a whole? Let's test it. Let's, you know, let's kind of put it through that process where a lot of times music is just not put into that, or it's just, it's just one of the, you know, it's just kind of thrown in to the mix with that, but it's not analyzed on any sort of granular level. So it definitely feels like there's going to be a lot more of that moving forward, I think. And I think that, you know, in that process, in just the creative process in general for brands, I think, you know, we could see a, a, a time a little bit out in the future where, you know, there's some sort of veritonic AI platform that's put in in the, the every decision that's made around, you know, music being placed in media. Whether that's good or bad, I don't know. That's a, that's certainly, a you know, that that we can debate about that. But I think that, you know, that's kind of what's coming because, look, there's some, some types of projects we work on, like we work on a lot of pharma projects, you know, at certain points, and that stuff is like analyzed every which way but loose, you know, in every way. So I think there's just, you know, things that maybe are a little more... On the creative end of the spectrum, it's still more gut. You know, I'll I'll say this. One, one of the places uh, that we see this kind of data and analysis really being prevalent almost across the board now is in the sonic branding work that we're doing. And this kind of gets back to your question a little bit, I think, Scott. And our take on that is... When we're guiding a client through that process where the stakes are really high, we're essentially defining the sound of a brand. Let's say we're working on a Sonic logo. It feels like it's in everybody's interest to, to really understand how that's landing with the consumer ultimately and to think that we go through that process and and kind of, you know, just just go on gut the whole way and hope when when we let our little birdie fly at the end of that process that it's, you know, going to land in the right way. We're very much, you know, guiding our clients into the use of of Data and analysis and we we'd rather not get to the end of that process without having put those kind of things in place
2: it's really interesting that Jay pointed out testing because it's such an important part of especially a large brands marketing process But what doesn't happen in testing even though there is a whole slew of data points that do get analyzed is really going in granularly for the audio it's, it's, and that's another really interesting thought about how yeah. AI can come into that piece of the puzzle because I think arguably that may be the most important piece of the puzzle for a lot of brands is thinking, well, we want to take the best chance that we can in adding the human pieces to this and using our gut, but then having it checked. And that, that hasn't been implemented quite yet. And I think it would be something that would, and thinking about how this helps us and how this challenges us, AI and music um, and data as a part of any form of decision-making that we're making, that seems like a huge piece of it.
3: <laughs> I see your head shaking and all
1: kinds no, of stuff I, going I t- on It took every bit God, of yeah. self-control
3: in me to not interrupt <laughs> that because
1: you're so, you're, so, well, you're so spot on. It's just like you know, at the end of the day, I think one of the things that is universal and there's nothing, nothing specific about any of our companies is that audio does not get equal treatment as it relates to the outcome of, of especially in the context of video, right? So like if you create a TV spot, 90% of that budget, 90% of the data that goes into it, 90% of the testing is going to the visual part of that ad and 10%, yeah. if you're lucky, is going to the audio. And then when it does happen, it, it's typically an afterthought. Like you're kind of doing it in the rear view mirror and I, everybody would agree, even the people who are behaving that way, right? They, are, they know that it's not 90-10 on, on the way emotions are evoked in that ad the way engagement happens in that ad, with memorability and recall in that ad, and, and all the other factors, you know, and intent. Like, it's not 90-10 visual, right? And so, and in a lot of cases, nothing's more powerful than the audio, so it doesn't get equal treatment. So it's like, that to me is just like, um, you know, it's at the core of, of, of what I believe, and com- especially coming from writing for music for TV, it drove me crazy. Um, but it's, it's, you know, that still happens, right? I mean, Nellie, as much data-driven as you are, you still see music as, as, as being underserved,
2: You know, I think it's actually getting a lot better, and it is now coming in at a point where it should, where it is at the strategy level, and everybody, at least from my vantage point, is really open to recommendations on how to change things and how to approach them, which I appreciate, because on all forms of media, it seems like it has been an afterthought for way too long. And the interesting part about that is, there's, there's certain conversations that you hear where you think of X brand, Y brand, Z brand, that does it really well, and you think, why? And yeah, sure, they do have really, really strong, big ideas, they have tapped into some human truth that they have told an amazing story around, but they've also normally tapped into the emotional aspect as much as possible, and music as a part of that is such a big element. Um, so here it's, it's been a slow move, but we're going, the needle's moving into the right direction. The most impactful thing, at least for me, and maybe I'm biased, but not just the copy, not just the art direction, but the sonic driven story.
3: I, I think that, you know, we could be, Nellie and I could be talking in five years about how quaint it used to be when we just used to kind of be able to go pick a a track and, uh, you know, or create a track or whatever it might be and and get it. Like I was thinking about, I was fantasizing about working in Pro Tools or, you know, Ableton or Logic or whatever, and being able to hit a button and turn on like a listener AI function where you're actually being rated as you create the track. You can put in parameters for what the use is, who the listener is. And, you know, it's pulling AI data sets from Veritonic or, where you know, some sort of brain essentially is some neural network and it's telling me how well my track is 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 you know doing with that audience as i'm creating it essentially oh let me take that part out because it's not that one's not tracking very well let me put let me try a different baseline you know it's, it's like i think this is it's it's all in its infancy and it, and i think where this can go in 20 years again we could have a whole other conversation about whether it's good or bad but i just think this is to me once the horse is out of the barn in this respect like it's just it's going so whether it's good or bad i don't know but
1: AI is is getting us there. It also makes those things more accessible. I mean, there's tons of I'm sure just on the music side. Uh, Jay, you're familiar with things like like you know mastering software, match EQs. I mean, just stock and Logic, you can get a yeah. matching EQ and be like, well, I want I want my track to have the yeah. same sonic profile as this as this track or this this yeah. reference track, and that's been around in mastering forever. But now there's there's tools that'll do it automatically, and that stuff it never puts you right there but it might give you some guidance. You know, what it does in some ways is it reduces the barrier, like in the same way that like what you can do on an iPad now, you used to have to go to a recording studio to do. Um, you know, AI and machine learning, it can reduce the human capital cost. And so a lot of the, the challenge with research and marketing and getting data um you know is is getting access to the people to ask if you could ask twenty people or thirty people or one hundred and fifty people or five hundred people, you'd you might want to ask them, but that's that's been really cost prohibitive and really difficult to achieve. Um, Nellie, are you seeing places where AI are coming into your life? Yes.
2: we worked with something we worked on a campaign must have been a year and a half or two years ago now with childish Gambino where it was all AI driven and now are working on something else that. I can't really go into, but it's it's really interesting looking at it from the perspective of AI as another tool in the in the creative process and the decision making process, and not just um, on other people's end of the stick, but on mine too. Um, it's it's definitely making its way in, and I think to Jay's point, um, it's exciting because it's another tool to make sure that you are keeping on track and your ideas are executed in the best way possible. So we'll see how it changes, but I'm already seeing it leak into how I work. I'm already seeing it impact the way that my creative counterparts work and how we ideate. And I'm already seeing it sit in the center of our strategy um, of how we implement AI as a part of the campaign as a whole, as a part of the messaging. If anything, it's been really exciting. It's not taken over anything I do and it's not taken over any of the counterparts that I work with. It's actually just amplifying our work. And like Jay said, it's kind of like another point of making sure what we're saying and what we're doing is going to hit right. Um, it's, it's like another tool in the, in the studio.
1: Now look, people were afraid of online shopping or e-commerce or all these other things like, you know, there are some brands I would never sell online or something like that. And like, you know, as these things evolve, like they're complementary, right? There, There's every brand now has an online strategy and does, does all these different things. And every, every marketing organization is taking new technologies and using them to learn more about their customers and, and run more successful campaigns. Um, right. You know, I, I guess like, you know, the, the thing about audio, which is, which got, you know, was so interesting earlier is, is audio, um, is in some ways the last frontier of these things that are being looked at. Like they you know, for a lot of for a, for a whole bunch of reasons. Um it seems like audio's behind audio is behind, I think, on some ways, uh, of people's strategy as far as measurement and, and some of these other things. And I think the audio advertising world is is helping that. I think the fact that people are, are at a second screen a lot when the video's on is is drawing attention to maybe I should focus on the on the sound in this ad as well. Um I guess, and of course, Nellie has the cool things that you, you can't talk about. <laughs> it's like, you know, the cool, um, everything cool that you, we, you, we want to know. You can't tell us
2: in the next six months, you're going to see a lot. Um, and then the next six months, I think you're going to see the thing that I'm most excited about and probably the thing that I've worked with the most delicately when it comes to integrating AI into my process. So, um, yeah, more
1: to come. <laughs> <laughs> so so Jay, what what um I know I know there's a, there's some stuff coming down the pipe for you. What what's what's happening and new at at the elements.
3: Well, the interesting thing about you know the way that we're thinking about things like AI and machine learning is some of it is it's not really externalized yet into the creation process so much for us, but a lot of ways we've been thinking about it is how we can use it within our internal processes of how we select which composers we're going to you know, bring on to a job and how we can kind of, you know, create internal systems that pop the best ones up to the top if we put parameters in. It's almost like this kind of internal, you know, the way you would go to Spotify or, you know, and it's gonna help you choose music. We're using some of those ideas in the way that we kind of manage our our jobs and the way that we put creative people, you know, match creative people and our composers and artists and singers and musicians with the the projects that we're working on. So you know that's that's been a kind of we've been working on that for a while, um, and that's I'm pretty excited about that.
1: That's awesome. No, and I think look, it's it's great to get into AI and machine learning with with both of you today, and and it's still very early in that in that in that conversation. And so yeah, we should have a we'll have to have a, a, a maybe like an annual check in <laughs> to see where we are in the state of things, love but. I, that. Yeah, but I appreciate, I appreciate you taking the time today, both of you, and, and uh, thank you for being on The Sonic Truth.
3: Thanks for having us, Thank Scott.
2: you so much.
0: How do marketers use insights like you're hearing on this program to run more effective campaigns on podcasts, radio, streaming services, and more? By informing every decision with data from the Baritonic Audio Intelligence Platform. Click the link in the episode description to get our infographic that demonstrates how data can work for you now, from leveraging the most effective voice for an ad to knowing how you stack up in the market and forge deeper relationships with customers through sound.